dementia researcher with a blog and a rating. Interviewing people with dementia and carers remotely by Sarah Griffiths and Hannah Wheat. Hannah and I are research fellows on the NIHR-funded Dementia Personaligned Care Team, or DPACT, project. We've added a link to the project in the written blog. The project aims to develop and evaluate a person-centred dementia support worker intervention based in primary care. Interviewing people with dementia and carers about their experiences of receiving the support intervention has substantially informed our learning during the feasibility phase. In May 2019, I wrote a blog for the Dementia Researcher which explored challenges of enabling people with dementia to meaningfully participate in qualitative research. Since then, further challenges and opportunities have emerged due to COVID-19. The team have had to rapidly adapt the DPACT intervention to enable remote delivery and switch to remote rather than face-to-face data collection processes. In this current blog, we share our reflections on the challenges that remote interviewing caused and practices that address these. It's our hope that this blog may foster further discussion about suitable, helpful approaches to interviewing people with dementia and carers, both during the pandemic, but also during more normal times too. We cover our reflections on five main areas. Number one, remote conversations can be tiring, especially for people with dementia. We've all noticed that communicating virtually is more tiring than face-to-face. And some have suggested this is because we miss out on a lot of subtle non-verbal communication that allows us to process other people's motivations, emotions and so on. We provide a link in the written blog to a TED Ideas article on why video calls might be so draining. For people with dementia who already have difficulties with language processing, this feeling of hard work and fatigue is likely to be amplified. We found it was even more necessary to take a flexible approach, which involved being prepared to reschedule the interview, take more breaks than normal, and to substantially cut down the length of the interview if necessary to do so. To be able to react in this way, we put more time aside for the interview and identified key questions that would need to be prioritised. During the interview, we also maintained a relaxed approach, reassuring carers that if the person with dementia wanted to wander away from the communication device at any time, which often happened, this was absolutely fine. Number two, researchers rushing the interview due to time pressures. When interviewing remotely, it can be tempting to rush the everyday conversation aspects of the interview so that the business of the interview can be conducted before people get tired. To counteract this, it can be helpful to have a pre-interview remote call. During this first call, it can be made explicit that this initial conversation is about getting to know each other, discussing what the interview might involve and planning a date and time, showing a warm and genuine interest in how things are, how people have been coping in these unusual and isolating times, their pasts, interests and values, brings a sense of normality. Interviewees often report to us that in this often frightening era, the dementia support worker has provided a vital link to make them feel normal again, as well as less lonely. We hope to mirror this sense of person-centeredness in our own researcher interactions with people with dementia and carers. In line with the coaching approach that is core to the DPACT intervention, we aim to make the delivery of research questions seem less like running through a checklist and instead feel part of a natural conversation. In some ways, this is much easier to achieve remotely when interviewees can't see you looking at an interview topic guide. Number three, distress caused by interviewers speaking to carers on their own. There have been some triad interviews, 
researcher, person with dementia and carer. Well, we've spoken with participants one at a time. In one instance, this approach had been agreed at an initial phone call, and the carer started talking to the interviewer first. However, the person with dementia became distressed, worrying over what was being talked about. The interviewer suggested that the carer swapped, letting the person with dementia talk first. A very general conversation, as specific interview questions were difficult in this case. Once this had happened, the person with dementia was happy to leave the carer to it. It's important to adapt to what's happening in the moment. Number four, communication difficulties. In face-to-face interviews, using visual resources is often essential for explaining the interview purpose. For instance, showing a photo of the dementia support worker and writing down key phrases like, how is it going with the support worker? How has the support worker helped you? What is good or not good? Otherwise, some people with dementia can get confused about the purpose. In one case, we soon realised that a person with dementia thought that the researcher was there to provide support for him rather than find out about the support he was receiving, which is quite an abstract concept. He exclaimed mid-interview, this just isn't helping me. Use of visual resources is most effective when face-to-face, sitting alongside and looking at and pointing to the same things. Supporting conversations in this way has proved really challenging remotely. To try and counteract this, we've sent materials in advance, but this did mean that the spontaneity of being able to quickly write a keyword, draw a simple picture, or point to something in the media environment to support comprehension was lost. Sharing of resources in the moment is an area that we would argue needs better digital solutions, which would be beneficial for practitioners as well as researchers. Where possible, we tried to enable people to engage with practitioners and researchers via video. Although there are many ways in which remote interviews might be inferior to face-to-face ones, if the comparison is between the two approaches in COVID times, a huge advantage of remote video interactions is that no one has to wear a mask so facial expressions become available and potentially people look less scary. No one has to worry about whether the person with dementia is able to observe social distancing. Not everyone has internet access, however, so some interviews have had to take place by phone. This made it difficult to gauge how people were feeling, tired, confused, engaged, etc., through observing and mirroring non-verbal communication, exchanging smiles and so on. Adapting to hearing difficulties is also more difficult when visual cues are removed and we needed to be mindful that speaking louder is not a good strategy in this situation. It can lead to exaggerated, hard-to-understand speech. Also, sounds typically hard to hear are voiceless, like s, sh and f, and will not be enhanced by increased volume. In phone interviews, we've had to try and compensate for the complete lack of visual feedback by ramping up linguistic methods like, was that clear? Let me know if you're getting tired, etc. Sometimes participants are happy to use the loudspeaker function so that a three-way conversation can take place. In some cases, this works well, with the carer allowing space and offering support for the person with dementia to contribute. In other cases, this can prove difficult especially where there is much simultaneous talking, making transcription tricky. Finally, number five, imbalanced perspectives and triadic interviews. During face-to-face interviews in people's homes, we found opportunities to obtain individual interviewee perspectives, even during triadic interviews. Important and personal information might be revealed when one participant has gone to make a cup of tea, 
or when showing the research to the door at the end of the interview. This can help interviewers gain different insights and provide opportunities to probe a little more without fear of upsetting the other participant. Remote interviews do not lend themselves so readily to these opportune moments, even though at times the interviewer may sense that there are perspectives left unexplored, as the following researcher reflection highlights. Researcher reflection. It struck me there may be things the daughter wanted to say without mum present. She did speak a little of her own past tendency to control things and make sure her mum was presenting all the facts correctly and how she has learnt to let go of that since talking to the dementia support worker. However, I think she saw her role in the interview as solely to support her mum, even though I emphasise that we are interested in both their views. I thought she might want to say more about the impact of the dementia support worker for both of them, so I asked if she would like to email me after the interview if she thought of anything else she wanted to say. I stress that this offer was for both of them via the daughter emailing. Since this interview, we've routinely offered the option of post-interview emails in order to leave the door open to further reflections. However, we're aware that this could privilege care reviews, as they are often more able to take up the offer. As our study progresses, we continue to explore ways of enhancing involvement and engagement of people with dementia and carers in the qualitative research aspects. We hope that sharing these insights will contribute to planning a future with remote interviewing methods very much here to stay. Thank you for listening. Join the Dementia Research bloggers and share your own views.